So I tickle them and I'll tickle them quite hard until literally they're almost not breathing because they're laughing so much. And I'll say, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop because they kind of got the hands up as a defense mechanism. And they say, I promise, I promise I won't tickle you. Now, they and I know that that promise is meaningless because as soon as they stop, tickle, tickle, until again they can't catch their breath. Now, in that setting, a promise does not have any meaning at all. Now, when I do promise my girls other things, I work hard at trying to honour those promises. But in a sense, because we can use the word promise as a I promise knowing I'll break it, or I'll promise and I'll try not to, and I'll try to adhere to that, our sense of promises is, oh, well, a bit watered down, aren't they? We kind of, we take promises with a, a pinch of salt because we all know that we've broken promises and we know that others have broken promises to us. But what we were looking at last week was the promises of God. And the promises of God are not flexible where they can be broken depending on the scenario. God's promises are sure and fast and cannot be broken. And so we were looking at Psalm 25, at some of the promises that David was was quoting in response to some of his requests to God. And uh, it says in Hebrews 6.18 that we looked at last week, God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who fled to him for refuge can take great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And so we were reflecting God's promises, and I really encourage people, um, you know, like I encourage myself, is look, from the outset of this year, make God's promises and seeking God's face the foundation of your year. Get healthy, start a new activity, a new hobby as a New Year's resolution. But the key thing you need if you want to thrive and prosper, not only this year, but every year, is to seek the face of God, seek his word, and learn the promises of God and build our lives upon those promises. Um, And so this week, I want to conclude uh, this two-little-week mini-series looking at the second half of Psalm um, 25. Um, And what I want to do after that, kind of mixed in between, is share a prophetic word that God gave me a few years ago that he's really said now is the time to share that. Now, I should uh, give a little caveat um, at this stage, just to say last week, I made a few chronological errors in my message. I don't know whether you picked them up, people who really know the order of their Bible, because I was looking at God's promises and saying how David would have been able to recite the promises of God. And, And I accidentally actually said that he could quote from Lamentations and Micah. These books followed after David. And so if you did pick that up, well done. Your chronology was better than mine. But what I wanted to say from that is the promises of God are amazing because you find that the promises of God seem to run through Scripture the same promises again and again and again. And whilst I may have quoted two scriptures that weren't available to, to, to David at the time, what David was able to do, he was able to recite the promises that God had given him through scripture that they had at the time, but he was also able to re- uh, uh, quote the promises, the personal promises that God gave him. And so those promises run through throughout eternity. 
Whether he had them written down, they are promises that God has given. Because anything that is reflection, a true reflection of God's word are promises that he gives us. So uh, well done for those of you who, uh, who uh, let me know about that, that mistake. But um, what I want to do is just really, again, like reflect on God's promises. And then out of those promises, declare the prophetic words that he's given me, this church, and each of you, so that we can actually step forward into a new year with boldness and confidence of what God has for us. But let me just pray as, as we, we start. Father God, thank you so much for your word and your promises that we can build our lives upon. God, I just pray that as I speak this morning, would you still and soften each of our hearts so we're able to not just try and pick things out, even pick things out that, that I'm actually presenting, but you would speak to each of us, Father, and just highlight what you want to reveal to us. We submit ourselves to your all-knowing, all-powerful love and direction. Amen. So we're looking at the second part of Psalm 25. So let me read this to you. Um, again, I'm going to come back to it throughout, but it's always good to actually give you the entirety. So Psalm 25, verses 12 onwards. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. We looked at paths. We looked at how God would lead us in those paths. They will, pro they will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. His eyes are always on the Lord for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse, or save me from them all. Feel my great pain and see my trouble, forgive my sins. See how, how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me, rescue my life from them. Do not let me be discouraged, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you, O oh God, ransom Israel from its troubles. I put my hope in you. May integrity and honesty protect me. I hope that in half an hour when we finish this message, that we may be able to reflect on that verse afresh. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. If your hope's anywhere else, it's lost. If your hope's in Christ, then we can expect all of God's favor to be upon us. So I'm going to pick a couple of points out just from the first couple of verses of our scripture. Um, and then what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to share this prophetic word and kind of weave in and out of um, Psalm 25 and Isaiah 41. So the first point is fear of the Lord. We look in verse 12, it says, Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. Now, at the center of David's life and the life of every Christian is to be the fear of the Lord. But the word fear is a funny word, isn't it? I'm fearful of spiders or death or any number of things because fear is used in our language as a negative concept. When we're afraid of something, we're fearful. And it's usually that particular thing that's represented in a negative way. Now, for the unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus, 
there probably is a fear of God. Because in this sense, a fear of God is a fear of judgment of God and eternal death, a separation from God. And so that sense of if you don't know who Jesus is, there's a fear of God. What, what will he do? What will he do when I die? Will, you know, will he be wagging his finger at me? You see, that's a fear that those who don't know Jesus may well have of God. But for the believer of Jesus, for someone who has given their life to Jesus, the fear of God is something much different. In fact, there's no correlation between the sense of fear of God between the unbeliever and the believer. The believer's fear is reverence. That's a very biblical word, very old-fashioned word, but reverence means deep respect. The believer's fear of God is a deep respect for him. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, when we fear the Lord, when we grasp what it is to be in awe and wonder at our creator, then the fear isn't out of terror. It's out of, I can't believe I'm in the presence of God. I can't believe that Jesus is in my life, the author of heaven and earth. Fear is just being taken back as though you're with someone. You'd be like, wow. I can't believe I get to not only know this person, but have them as my closest friend. And so this reverence and awe are exactly what the fear of God means for Christians. And so my message today is called the blessings that come when we fear the Lord. So we've got a bit of a sense of what it is to fear the Lord. Let me unpack a bit more of those blessings as we go on. One of the blessings of fearing the Lord in verse uh, 14 is friendship with the Lord. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Or as the message translation puts it, they're the ones he confides in. A covenant is a promise that God makes between himself and his people. And so when you share that kind of the, the vision and a promise, you're confiding in someone. And so God confides in us and says, look, as someone who fears the Lord, let me share my heart with you. The Lord draws those who fear him into close bonds of friendship for those who confide in him. You see, the Bible shows that we each have a choice. Each of us choose whether to serve God or disobey him. Now, you might be thinking, if you don't know Jesus, oh, is this where I'm going to get told off? Not at all. You see, everyone has to make a decision to serve God. We're not born in a situation where we are each Christians and we serve God. We're creating the image of God, but we have a choice to make to come before God and say, look, I've messed up and I'm sorry for the shortcomings I've made. I'm sorry where I have not feared you. I'm sorry where I have ignored you. I want to go from disobeying you to serving you. 
And we see this in numerous people throughout the Bible where they, they go from disobeying him to actually saying, I want to serve you. And one is Joshua. Joshua summoned the people of Israel. Uh, so Joshua's a guy in, in the Old Testament and he's leading these people and he, he gathers the people of Israel around him and says, look, we've got a choice to make. Joshua 24, 14. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Then Joshua called for them to make a decision. Verse 15, it says, Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the cry of every Christian. I have decided what I'm doing. I'm going to serve God all the days of my life. Jesus actually cited um, obedience uh, in his commandments um, as a prerequisite, as as something that you have to do to be in friendship with him. He said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So when we fear God... Friendship is the natural step because we put God in his place. And when we put God in his place, he abundantly blesses us with all the good gifts that he has for us as our closest friend. Only those who obey him can be rightfully called his friends. Have you decided to follow Jesus? You know. Good question. So, so what I would say as we're coming on to is, have you decided to follow Jesus? You see, the thing is, is we can understand God's there. We can have a, we can, we can know what he's saying. But we can still reject that. What he says is, look, you don't have to be perfect and in a right situation where you feel like I am good enough now to be adopted as God's son. God's child, God's daughter. Now, you see, the thing is, is none of us are ever in a situation before we've invited Jesus into our life to say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I am, I've ticked all the boxes. No, we come and we say, look, I have a sense of who you are, but I know I'm broken, and I want to invite you into my life. How do you know if you've invited Jesus into your life? If you walked out church today, I'm not going to take any more questions. I'm going to carry on. Uh, If you walked out of church today and got knocked over by a bus, do you know, and, and you got killed, where would you be? Do you know you would be in heaven? Because God says, you know, those who have followed me will never be separated from my love. So that's the thing is you may have a sense of who God is. You may kind of, kind of welcome a bit of his direction. But until you submit to him, until you fully say, I fear you, Lord, because of your majesty and power, and I want to commit my life to you. Until you're at that stage, you're actually rejecting him. Because God doesn't say, give me a little bit. Give me 70%. He says, no, I want your everything. So if you're here today and you've not given God your everything, maybe you're at 10%, 30%, 70%, 
if you've got any sense of doubt what happens when, and not going to happen, you get knocked down by a bus and you die, if you're not sure what happens at that stage, can I say you've not got 100% of the reassurance that God's promises give? He says, you will spend eternity with me if you fear me and have given your life to me. So I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service that if you've not given your life to Jesus would like to, then we're going to invite you to do so. But I don't want to do that now because I want to tell you a little bit more about the goodness God has for you before you get to that stage. So I've got this prophetic word that God gave me. And God gave me this word two and a half years ago um, in June 2021. And it's been in my, my summer house in the garden where I spend time with God. And I have read this scripture hundreds of times. But God said to me, look, this is a word that I've given you and it's now the right season to share it. And so this word is a word that I believe God is saying he's speaking into this year for us as a church. I chat with Kathy, my wife, often and she says, look, James, don't say things sometimes where it comes across as this is going to happen. Because I'm someone who gets a little bit carried away and I'll say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and it doesn't materialize. Can I say is I am fully stating all claim on the promises of God that I am not kind of hopeful of some sense of like, I hope it happens. I have faith that God is going to bring about the promises that he sees. I have faith that we're going to start a second service. We will start a third service. We will plant church. We, God, God will plant churches. This is a church that is going to be growing because of the blessings and anointing God has given and the promises. So when I say we're going to have more congregations and build more buildings, it's not for a sense of, because I'm just, it'd be nice if that had happened. It'd, it'd make me look good. No, it's because God has promised that. And so I'm not giving any time scale on that, but God has got great blessings for this church. And so um, the the, the scripture that I had, I put it on kind of a, a board. And so this has been sitting uh, with me for two and a half years. And so what I want to do is I want to share this prophetic word and again, kind of jumping back and forth a little between that and Psalm 25. So um, let me see where I'm up to. Now, one important thing to, to be aware of is... Um, because this word is a word that God said, look, it's for me, James, but it's for the congregation. When I printed this out, I actually changed it from, instead of Israel, it says City Church. And instead of Jacob, it says James. Um, I'm not saying change that in your Bibles, but, be, but it's a word that God gave that involves me, but involves us as a church. And so when it comes up on the screen, you will see City Church and James there. So it starts out, but as for you, city church, my servant, James, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. I called you back from the ends of the earth saying, you are my servant for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Now, James is the English trans translation for the name Jacob, of which actually um, Jacob is where it actually appears if you look at your Bibles. Now, I know that James is the English variant of the Hebrew word, Hebrew name, Jacob. 
Now, I know that, but even having had this scripture for two and a half years, God only showed me this week, he said, look, have you actually noticed that, James, is that that word, Jacob, literally means, James, I'm speaking about this for you. So this prophetic word was a word that God gave me, but and the church, and the church. I want to tell you maybe a little bit about my testimony, but how this kind of impacts um, some of the ways I am. The name Jacob means supplanter. It's not a name, we, a word we're particularly familiar with. Supplanter is a person who steps in place of someone else, but usually by force. Supplanter is not a particularly positive attribute. And so Jacob was a supplanter. Always trying to work an, an angle to get something more. And I've often joked with Kathy, my wife, um, that if I wasn't a Christian and didn't have to adhere to the Bible's principles, I'd be a pretty good criminal. <laughs> I'm serious. For some reason, I always seem to see an angle where I can take advantage of a situation to prosper. I think there's money to be stolen there. There's a loophole there. It's peculiar, but the name that God gave me is actually a significant prophetic word of supplanting. I'll explain how I'm not a criminal pastor later on. But <laughs> when, when I was young, each year, um, there was a, a set of stickers that came out made by Panini. Anyone know Panini football stickers? And every year, the football stickers would come out, and I, I love these stickers. And so at the age of 10, my supplanting nature was coming through. So I started out the season of the, the football um, stickers with what's called a shiny. A shiny is just a sticker, but it's shiny. Uh, there's not many shiny stickers, and so I persuaded one of my friends to just give me one of these shinies, and it was a good sticker. Um, and over the season of about two months of trading stickers at the age of 10, I didn't buy a single pack of stickers, but I ended up with a Parker pen, which was a big deal in the 90s. Parker pens were like, if you don't know a Parker pen, it, they're rubbish now, but a Parker pen, <laughs> three pounds. I was trading stickers for money, three pounds. Three pounds for a 10-year-old in 1992 was a big deal, and about three inches of stickers. I never bought a sticker, but I kind of used that Dealing, wheeler, dealer. I'd like to think myself not so much as a Dell boy, but maybe more of a, um, a Boise. Boise, if anyone knows only fools and horses. But, but I was a bit of a wheeler, dealer. And so subconsciously, I seem to look for ways to take advantage. So for all of those aspiring criminals in city church, you know the pastor to come and speak to. <laughs> now, Whilst I've been a Christian since I was the age of five, this whole supplanting nature, whether my parents had any understanding of, of what it meant when they called me James, there was a supplanter element in me that God um, was aware of and that I was aware of. So as I went along, I had to be conscious that I didn't take advantage of certain situations for my gain. Because I was walking with God, but I was aware sometimes there'd be a little prompt of, you could, you could get something there. In fact, my dad, when I was young, um, would always say, you want the penny and the bun. 
If you don't understand that, it basically means you want the, the bun, which costs a penny, but you don't want to give up the penny. So it's like, I want the bun and the penny, I just want it all. And so I was aware of being a supplanter, and certainly my dad and maybe those close to me were aware as well. So I'm conscious that, that there is this supplanting element in me. And so fast forward 15 years, um, I'm about to graduate, having studied three, a three-year degree at London School of Theology, um, where I've been studying the Bible. And what I found is that I'd increasingly been studying God rather than being in relationship with him. In effect, I'd lost my fear of God. Because what I wanted to do is I knew God was real, but I wanted to say, God, actually, I just want to turn my back on you. I want to do what Jonah, we all know from Jonah and the whale, you've told me what to do, but I kind of want to ignore that and walk away. And I want to just see what it'll be like to not really fear you, but explore what James Earnshaw can do for me. I'd lost my fear. I wanted to try and live my life without God. And so as I was graduating from Bible college, I was ready to move to South Korea to go and teach English, getting out of everything I knew to almost say, who am I? What can I do for myself if I turn my back on God? And the problem, though, was that I knew God was real. And what God did for me is he had to take action like he took action with Jonah like he sent a whale to eat Jonah, to bring him back to where God wanted, God was going to take action with me, which I'll tell you a little bit later on. But back to Isaiah 41. So God took action with Jacob. Like he'd taken action in, in Jonah and, and all the people through the Bible, he took action through Jacob, of which um, this... Uh, this scripture is focused on. And he did that action in the form of an all-night wrestling match. God appeared in human form to approach Jacob and, and actually just take action to say, you're not going to be a supplanter in the sense of wheeling, dealing, thieving. It says in Genesis 32, Jacob was alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled him. That man was God in human form, with him until the dawn began to break. It was only after he wrestled with God and ceased struggling that he realized he couldn't go on without him. And it was in that place of surrender, in that place of the fear of the Lord, that he received God's blessing. It was in the place of surrender to say, now I understand the fear of the Lord, that God said, now I've got the blessing for you. So for me, my wrestle of trying to escape God, go to a foreign country, throw all the, the, the Bible out the window, God knew he needed to take action. And so what he did was he invite, my sister invited me to Liverpool 18 years ago. And on my first day in this city, I visited her church and God wrestled with me he slapped me across the face and said James you're my son that's your identity you need to fear me and that was humbling and it hurt someone who'd been a Christian since the age of five I had to walk to the front of church and say I want to recommit my life to Jesus but when I did that 
Wow. Then God said, now that you've not only uh, you know, come back to me, I'm going to show you now that you understand the fear of the Lord what my blessings are. And that was how I came to Liverpool 18 years ago. Since then, as God's servant with a, a very healthy fear of the Lord that I didn't seem to have prior to coming to Liverpool, like Jacob, I received, I received the abundant blessings of God. The abundant blessings of God. So it's important to note here that God created me with the ability to supplant. God creates each of us often with gifts that can be used for his glory or they can be held to ourselves to bring us benefit. So I was able to use what I had always a little bit been using for my own benefit for God's glory because then when I feared the Lord, he said, right, I'm going to bring the blessing on the gift that you have. So I'm, I'm, it's probably one of my areas I'm a little bit proud. I'm quite proud of getting a good deal. Wherever I go, people know James knows how to get good deals. But rather than it being a James knows how to get good deals to profit himself, I want to use those things to, to bless me, but bless my family, bless church. So the supplanting element is then used for God's glory because I've got a healthy fear of who the Lord is and then all the blessings that he has for me come because I've put him in the right place. I wanted to say is, are you someone who you're completely different since you gave your life to Jesus? You Obviously, you'll be different in your lifestyle, but was comedy a big thing? Are you a funny person that you came to the Lord and thought, oh, better step back from that? Because your, your humor used to be sarcastic and quite attacking, and it put others down to raise you up. Can I say is, that humor has no place for a Christian, but if God's made you funny... He wants to use that humor to bless others, to make people laugh, to raise people up. Maybe you were obsessed with music. You got saved and you realized the music you was listening to was really unhealthy and you turn your back on music. God wants to say, look, I've given you a gift. Now that you fear me, I want to bring all the blessing on that gifting. Use that music and that gifting to glorify God because God doesn't want you to throw away everything that he's given you when you started. He wants to use those things for his glory. Maybe you're good at making money. If you're good at making money and you met the Lord and it said, don't serve God, uh, you can't serve God and money. Serve God, make money for his glory. Again, God's using the gift he's given you to look at figures and opportunities, investments, so that you can use those for his glory. Again, I'm a supplanter. It can be used negatively, but it can be used with great blessing if I put God in, in the right place where he should be. <clears throat> so, back to Psalm 25. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in distress. My problems go from bad to worse, or save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. See how my enemies I have, are viciously, how viciously they hate me. Protect me, rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. As a church over the years, we have had challenges, struggles, and setbacks. 
speak to Pastor Dave and Sue, who after leading this church for 27 years, where I took the lead about 18 months ago, they'll be able to tell you of so much pain and struggle that they, they experienced, but the church experienced over those years, which is always going to be the case. They'll be able to tell you about the times of distress, when problems went from bad to worse, when people even plotted against them and the church. And I have those stories too. Less of them. I imagine they'll increase over the years that go on. But challenge comes. Challenge has come upon this church. And over the years, Dave, Sue, other leaders past and the leadership now have come to God in prayer on behalf of City Church to say, God, we are fearful of you. We know, like David says, there are many things that come against us. We want to say, God, we want to hold on your promises. We want to stay fearful of you. And the prophetic message of Isaiah 41 perfectly sums up the promises he has shared with us. So, Isaiah 41. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, all your angry enemies lie confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You will look in vain for those who try to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing, for I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here for you. Though you are a lonely worm, Lord James, that puts, puts me and, and us into place is, look, you're lowly, I am high. But you're adopted into my family. You inherit, some, inherit all the goodness. Though you're a lonely worm, don't be afraid, people of City Church, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. But God wants us to know that he promises to protect us. He promises to protect us. Does that mean everything becomes easy? No. There will always be opposition. I have taken this scripture many a time where I've been in tears of what I faced, opposition, my own personal struggles. And I've just read through and I've just read those promises of God where he says, look, I've given you these promises. Hold fast to the promises. Don't let your emotions determine and take you away from fearing me. So God gives us those promises and this prophetic word to say, look, City Church, you've gone through a lot. You've faced opposition, but I will protect you. I will fight for you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. Now, this is the element of the prophetic word that I'm coming on to that really gets me excited. This is where I can say we're a church that is growing, that has seen the favor of God, but that's not ended. We will see further growth we will see people coming in and receiving Christ we will see opportunities and in our influence increase because God has said look 2024 and beyond is a season where I'm going to bring my blessing over you as a church as you've humbled yourself and said we are your disciples we want to come back and say God show me your ways 
now that you've, you've just come back to that place once again and had a season of just saying, God, would you show us? He said, now let me show you. Now let me pour your blessing. So when we carry on, the next verses are, you will be a thresh, this is for the city church, you will be a new threshing instrument with many sharp teeth. You will tear your enemies apart, making chaff of mountains. You will toss them into the air, and the wind will blow them all away. A whirlwind will scatter them. Then you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. I will open up rivers from them on high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this so all so this, so all who see the miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created this. Can I say, this is a word that God has given for us as, our, as a church. We have prayed for years for the barrenness to be broken. I've said before from this pulpit that I would get really frustrated at Dave and Sue because they talk about moves of God and what it was like when God did something. And I was thinking, I've been here for 10 years and we've been praying for the same uh, parched ground to, to be watered and see fresh trees and fruit sprung up. And I would, we would pray, but I would be so frustrated God's saying is we're now in a season where we started, but he has got so much more for us as a church. If we remain fearful of the Lord and submit to his ways. If we ever start to look at things and think, oh, it's filling out. Oh, there's, there's more money. There's more people. There's more influence and opportunity. Hey, this is going to be easy now. This is fun but start to take our eyes off God, he'll take it away. But if we keep our eyes fixed on God, he will bring the abundance of heavens over us individually and our congregation. Can I say in this season of discipleship, if you want to receive the abundant blessings of God, humble yourself before him and let him guide you. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're praying this Wednesday, and part of that prayer really is submitting to God to say, what is it that you've got? God's been speaking in that prayer meeting with clear words that are being confirmed by numerous people. This Wednesday, would you join us so that we can pray into this word and what's already been shared of the prophetic nature of what God's promising us? Because we want to make sure God's leading us rather than a sense of any leaders saying, I think this is a good way to go. One word that's key for each of, each of you as the congregation is, God spoke to me and said, look, James, rather than being a pastor with, uh, who's a shepherd with um, a, a staff that's like a, a, a crook, a curve bit, where I'm trying to pull people along, which I've tried to do before and has not worked, God said, look, Actually, you're not going to use the hook. You're just going to use the staff. And rather than try and pull people along, you're going to leave them behind. 
as I awaken the giftings and the blessings that each individual in this church has so that they're moving and I'm simply just listening to God, directing people a little bit, but the movement is coming from each of you. So if you're, if, you, if you're new to this church and want this to be a church where you'll be told exactly what to do and you'll be pestered and pestered and pestered until you're doing it, this isn't, this isn't the church for you. But if you're in a church where you want to look to God and let him stir your heart and let him lead you with a leadership that just directs and encourages rather than yanking you along, then you're in the right place. So maybe, Sue, if you'd like to, to come up, I just want to um, pray for those of you um, who maybe aren't, haven't had that certainty as to whether Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you have that 100% reassurance of who you know who you are and what would happen when you die. I'm going to pray. If that's, if that's you, if you're conscious that you really want to make sure that you recommit your life to God, because like me, when I was 22, I drifted and you'd, you've been losing that fear of God, and you've wanted to do your own thing, then pray this prayer to recommit your life back to him like I had to do all those years ago. Maybe you've never given your life to God and you're thinking, you know what, I like the sound, actually, of what's going on. Not only do you like the sound, but your heart is beating and there's a sense of, wow, what's this? That's God speaking to you, saying, look, I made you on a purpose for a purpose but you won't know your purpose until you invite me into your life and I speak to you. So if that's you, I'm just going to pray a prayer and I'd ask each, everyone to just close their eyes and bow their heads. I'm going to pray this prayer and what I'd encourage you to do is just speak out these words. You don't have to shout them, but there's power in our words. And if you want to recommit or commit your life to Jesus for the first time, just pray these words. Dear Jesus, I hear what you're saying to me so clearly. And I want to acknowledge my sinfulness and my brokenness. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. That when you, Jesus, died on the cross... You carried the weight of all my sin and wrongdoing. I ask for your forgiveness and I want to walk the rest of my days fearing you with you as my closest friend receiving all the abundant blessings that heaven has for me. In your name I pray, amen.